Bukayo Saka. Welcome back to Always Arsenal with myself, Andrew, alongside as ever, Tom. Um, it's been a it's been a it's been a wild ride the last few weeks. We've we've suffered all sorts of emotions. It's come to an end. Um, Tom was there on Saturday to give the squad a, a rightly deserved just lap of honour. Probably the best lap of honour I think the Emirates has ever seen. Actually, we'll talk about that in a little while, maybe. Um, but a season where I think Tom and I have often been reflecting throughout the season really we were even saying at Christmas time that this is probably my favorite ever season um for different reasons really age etc um different experiences life experiences when we when we were obviously going unbeaten back in 2003-04 we were sort of uh fresh fresh-blooded young chickens 13-14 years of age not really having to have too much stresses going on in our lives and things change as the years go by. Um, and there's been a lot of chat in the in the last few days, particularly in our WhatsApp chat of what next um, and who should we get and how should we evolve and what are the worries for next season. But I don't I think it would be giving this season a disservice if we weren't to spend this evening reflecting on the last 38 games that we've played in the league campaign. Um Tom, I mean, it's 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 been a season that I think we can both agree that has brought all sorts of different emotions. Um, but the word emotion is a key one because I think we've been struggling for a while with that, um, with 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 the club that we obviously love dearly. Um, but there was definitely a period where that seemed to be sort of being reduced, I guess, because of the lack of sort of progress really under the club. Um very obviously with Wenger leaving and Emery coming in and then Arteta becomes the man who walks through the door and I think this season has definitely been one where we can say that Arteta has arrived um, and I guess just to kick off this evening's chat we'll go over the season in a bit more detail but just your overarching thoughts really on uh, an, an amazing season and, and, and I don't think we use that word lightly because I think a lot of fans maybe that aren't don't obviously listen to this pod of other clubs um would would laugh at that but um I will I will you know put the, my flag in the ground and say that I'm I can stand by that word being an amazing season um uh, I guess <laughs> from the conversations we've had over the last few months you would be in agreement yeah it's, it's been a tremendous season it really has um you know Sunday was Sunday was like you said reflective of that in respect of the of the the lap of honor and the 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 praise and adulation the team got the uh, you know we use the word offline connection um it's been coming for the last 18 months last you know last season we felt it it was coming it was boiling but it sort of bubbled over this year and it bubbled over into sort of a a flow of emotions across the stadium um that I've not seen at Arsenal possibly, I say possibly in my life. I imagine 98 would have been very similar. Um, I was 10 in 98. So, you know, I don't remember it for those reasons. I remember enjoying the success for the first time. But in the grand scheme of things, that was only a seven-year title drought. You know, we'd won it in 91. And then, and, and now here we are, <clears throat> nearly 20, well, 20 years it will be next season without the title. and 
whether we delivered it or not, and the answer was obviously we clearly didn't, didn't didn't go our way. You know, there was a time. I don't necessarily think Arsenal fans believe we would win it this year. Not many did anyway. But I think every single fan at some point believed we could. And that that's enough. That's enough. Because when was the last time I believed we could win the league? Probably 2008 was the last time I believed we could win the league. You know? 2016 was a sniff with the Leicester because you think it's kind of anyone's. But not because... I didn't think we could win it that year because we were good. You thought anyone could win it because we could stumble into it. I think 2008 was the last time we had a good side where I thought we could win the league this year. We're brilliant. We're really good at football. You know? And that brings so much excitement and obviously all the, the fever pitch memes going around online and stuff like that all through the year. But it's been, it's been 19 years, 18 years, you know? Um, and, you know, that's what we felt. And, yeah, so for me, comfortably, my favourite year going and watching Arsenal um, as you say you know the last time we won the league we were what 15 years old and so the reality is you do think about things for a different lens at that point you know at, at, in 2004 that would have been the 89, 91, 98 fifth league title in my lifetime now don't get me wrong I'm not counting 89 and 91 as memories because I was, I was a baby I was two years old but what I mean by that is you still grow up with that aura around you, your dad or your brothers or your friends and family that, oh yeah, Arsenal win the league. It's not, it's great. It's class. It's brilliant. Don't get me wrong, but it's not out of the question. We've done it five times in the last 15 years. Do you know what I mean? So actually five times in 15 years is quite a strong hit rate. You know, that's obviously an average of every three or four years, you know? And, and so like, you know, it would have felt fantastic and the Invincibles is a record that may never, ever be beaten or matched. But well, it can't be beaten. It may never be. It may, may never be matched. But to to believe for the first time in twenty years that it could happen again, that we might win the league, that was enough to certify it as as an incredible season, just mm. because of the, what it does to you. Yeah, and what we'll do this evening is we're going to kind of, I guess, walk ourselves through the season really and pick out some key moments as we go along. We've got best goal award. We've got best player award. We've got best moment award, which. I think most Arsenal fans could probably agree on. Um, but what we'll do is obviously we'll just kick off, I guess, by looking at, at the summer, really, Tom. Um, and, and and a really a really interesting summer um, where Arteta brings in two mates from City who he knows really well um, to add some experience and some winning mentality into the squad in Sinchenko and Jesus. Um, they, they were obviously the, the key signings of the summer, not the only ones, but they were the, the two marquee signings if you, if you remember you how you felt when those two came because well, um, I, I struggle to remember to tell you what I struggle yeah. to remember being blown away by those yeah, if good, I'm truthful yeah that's a good point that's a good point actually um, I remember being I remember being fairly excited about the Jesus signing but at, at the time I think it felt a little bit like we were going to City for some scraps now at the time, I felt like that. However, as the season progressed and as we started the pre-season, we can talk about in a minute, we obviously quickly realised that these were going to be two transform transformational players. Zinchenko, likewise, really, like mm. comes in as a, a and you're thinking, is he going to be our first choice left back? All that sort. Of, those were probably the thoughts I had in my head at the time. We, uh, we've, we, we, you know, Arsenal fans, and it'll be interesting to see how this coming summer pans out, but. They were both in the last 18, 20 more, four, four months, sort of second choices. Like we were linked a lot of the last year with Dusan Vlahovic, you know, and we didn't get that done, you know, snub basically that snubbed Arsenal. 
obviously we were in in a big way last summer for Lissandra Martinez. You know, we got outbid by United and we had to walk away from that one. You know, so so those that's your striker and left back that kind of first choices. And so a bit like Trossard coming in January, this January just gone, when our first choice was Mudrick. Now you can sometimes say things work out for the best, but I think there was a general feeling of, okay, I don't think anyone was disappointed with the signing of Gabriel Jesus. And made, they made sense. Made sense. Very good players. Players that the manager knows well. But I don't think anyone was probably anticipating the transformative nature of those two signings. Um, only to say that obviously there were signs in building blocks last year that we were starting to play that stuff. The connection was starting to come. But yeah, I don't, I don't think people were, were imagining the transformative nature of those two players. No, and I think what what they were though were were signings that they were indicative of what Arteta wants us to do with yes. the ball when we're on the ball. Um, and obviously, the, another big change over the summer, Tom, was the introduction of William Saliba back into the to the team. Where if we were to cast our minds back to August, not now, but back in August, there was there was there was a debate there. Is the, is he going to start? Is he going to play? Yeah. Is is he going to be a backup player? Um, and I think it's really important to mention preseason because I remember watching. I think I messaged you at the time. I remember watching us play Everton in America. Um, it's like a one a.m. game, and I stayed up for it and I watched the first half. Nodded off, and I remember watching it, thinking, <clears throat> "I know this is preseason, but this is like it's a completely different team." It was like hmm. the style, obviously personnel-wise, was different, but the way we were playing, the way we were moving the ball, the zip, and it was like, "Okay, okay, <laughs> this is something I can get behind." And then obviously we go and obviously smash Chelsea, we smash Sevilla, um, and that led into that first game against Palace, where I don't think we've been. I said this at the time. I don't think we've been as excited about an opening game for a very, very, very long time. Excited, but apprehensive as well because. Because of the uh, the Brentford result a, a year earlier, essentially, um, it's one of those. But it sets the tone that Palace game. You know, we, mm-hmm. we go there a tough again two years in a row. The Friday night opening fixture. We obviously had the way away to Brentford the year before, and we had COVID issues. Yeah. Um, this one, however, we open it up, and we you know we go in there and we 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 do the job at a tough place to go. Now that Palace don't go on and have a phenomenal season, obviously getting rid of um, Patrick Vieira midway through the year. But but nonetheless, you know, it's a great opening game and it kind of sets us off for a great start, doesn't it? You know, winning the first five. Yeah, it really does. And, and I think at this moment in time, we were just riding this wave of like, wow, you know, we're playing this free-flowing football that I didn't think under Arteta at times was possible. You know, there was there was real question marks really before this season that could Arteta coach attack? <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And obviously, we go on to smash goal records this season. So yeah, like he can <clears throat> he can stick his fingers up to that uh, one. And, and you know, the, the reality is we 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 had quite a kind fixture start. Mm. You know that those opening five games: Palace, Leicester at home, Bournemouth, Fulham, Villa at home. Now, that's that's quite a nice run to open the season as a five games. It has to be said, and. That sets the tone. And I remember there was a lot of the rhetoric at the beginning of the year that, well, you've only won the first five because you've played no one yet. And then obviously we go to Old Trafford and it's mm. a very, you know, the result is we lose 3-1, but the game didn't go like that. We played very well. We could have easily got something out of that game if not won it, but for a few decisions and, and sort of maybe a bit rash at times. Mm. Um, but then that rhetoric stayed, didn't it? Because, you know, again, oh, you've not beaten anyone, but obviously we put that to bed in two or three weeks later when we played Spurs and Liverpool back-to-back. 
Yeah, it was a, it was an interesting start to the season, wasn't it? Really, because I I felt at the time that a lot of the games, particularly at home, felt quite chaotic. Um, there was, I mean, you were you were there for all for for all of them this season at home, and there was just this energy. The way we were starting games was just absolutely electric, you know. And then that fed into a lot of the home games we played, notably Liverpool, where we score in the opening minute. Um, but we were just starting games like a house on fire. But you're you're right to point out the Man United game because. I, I think a common thread throughout the season, Tom, was the fact that when we had bad results, we as fans knew that what we were watching was was too good for it to be a mirage. Yeah. You know? And and, and I think that United game was... The, the, the way we responded to that game as a fan base was quite telling because in years gone by, it would be, oh, you know... We've lost at Old Trafford. We're weak. We've got no gumption. Like, like the, there's there's no sort of like bottle about this team. But we knew that we went there and we played them off the pitch really for large parts of that game, which we've never yeah. done really. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, it was just a, a really breathtaking start to the season. That first sort of that pre World Cup run really was um, was something you'd want to bottle up and keep forever, really, wasn't it? Yeah, it was sensational. Ultimately, you know. 50 points from the first 19 league games. I know that was obviously a few games after the World Cup as well. I, I guess um, some, I guess some early facets to our play, Tom, that we could sort of talk about in terms of tactical. Really, was the emergence of the Jacquerot. Yeah, the, you know, redefined, and obviously it looks like Jacquerot's moving on from Arsenal this year. And we, you know, we won't make it a Jacquerot pod, but the re, the cold reality is, like, you know, he was asked to do something completely different this season, from playing in a double pivot at times from being our defensive midfielder for the last four or five years, you know, until the, until we signed Thomas Partey, um, you know, then he was kind of much more in a double pivot and suddenly he's given this free role, which you think on, on the face of it wouldn't suit him because he, you know, he's never got the pace. Doesn't, does he have the legs to get up and down and be a box to box and get goals? Not really shown that, but equally what it does is release him from the responsibilities of having to be the last line of defence or track back and and make last-ditch tackles, which were occasionally his downfall. And actually, you know, he became an absolute engine there. Um, and again, first half of the season, like Arsenal, to be fair, but the first half of the season in particular, he, he was phenomenal. Um, other, other, other things clearly were was the, the right-hand pod. We spoke about it a lot through the season, but the Ben White-Saka-Erdegaard connection, which which is phenomenal in full flight, um, you know, really is telepathic, particularly sort of Saka and Odegaard's connection there in terms of some of the interchanging into play is phenomenal. Um, but clearly, obviously, um, you know, he didn't necessarily play all the early games because he's sort of spated with injuries. But when he was fit, the Zinchenko role as well, the the inverting and being able to sort of tuck in and essentially play as a, as a roaming role. At times, it's ridiculous through the season, as we know, it's kind of playing right wing striker whatever else but you know certainly playing in that sort of tucked in role so there were definite <clears throat> definite signs to give us the overlap to give us the extra man mm -hmm. um yeah it was uh clear patterns to the play but also just full throttle aggression and i think we really saw that liverpool man man city hybrid that we sort of like to talk about through the season and that in was really in evidence well into the new year yeah and, and i think you mentioned the right, the Saka, who's obviously a integral part of the right pod, and he actually, I felt, he grew into he grew into the opening sort of ten, twelve league games. Really, Saka had a bit of a quiet start. Very um, slow start. To be honest with you, in terms of his actual output, World Cup, really. Yeah, yeah, it was it was it started to ramp before the World Cup. Then he obviously had a fantastic World Cup with England and came back in January, February, and March. Mm. Uh, 
as, as a phenomenon. Um, so, people keep on talking about how Saka fell off at the end of the year, but they, they're extending it in their minds. How long, how, it, well, yeah, the last four or five games, but then we were poor for the last four or five games. The reality was he's Barclays parallel month in March. He came back in January, February, March, and he was a beast. Absolute beast. Our best player by miles. Um, and, and yeah, so uh, integral, but slow start, as you say, didn't get his first goal till, till the Old Trafford away. Um, sort of six games in, really. So. Yeah, yeah. And no, I mean, I've, I think I've sorted out my, my, my best my best goal of the season, my sort of top three. And I actually think Saka's goal against Wolves on on the on the last day is is an exceptional finish. It doesn't get in my list purely because of the nature of the game, really. But what a goal that was, by the way. I yeah, mean, I, t- I tell you what, he, he, he's found, and again, we won't talk about Saka because I could do that all day, as you well know. Um, but shooting boots, he's found this year, not only in his output numbers, but more importantly for me, in a way, is his actual strength and the finishing ability. Because as 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 smart a footballer as Saka's been for the last two years, he's been our player of the season for two years mm-hmm. in a row mm-hmm. before this year. Um, he had a bit of a weak shot. His finishing wasn't fantastic, but he scored some crackers this year. Look, one that may feature on our three goals against United, clearly. Uh, two phenomenal um, tight angle finish against Leeds and Everton into mm. the roof of the net, both of them. The Aston Villa finish is, is phenomenal as well. Mm. You know, so there's been a few finishes where, you know, just really clean strikes, yeah, and, which and just, you wouldn't have associated well, with him before this well year. Taken, well taken little poacher goals as well, like away yeah. at Brighton, I remember in the first few minutes. Um, so I guess for, for listeners, what, what what we're doing is we're, we're kind of just re-watching back to the goals of the season, really, and like just going through it. Um, and I, I've paused it here, Tom, because this is actually the first goal that's in my top three of my best goals. Um, okay, it's, okay. It's the Partey goal at home to Spurs. Um, which my end, my end of the stadium, clock end. Yeah, well, you you often talk, you often uh, WhatsApp me when you're at the Emirates, and you say you like you you look forward to your your Saturday afternoon treat of watching the right hand pod where you are at the clock end there. And yeah, and, yeah. I, and I think this was a goal that is very sort of emblematic, really, of of that right hand pod that you're talking about earlier with Saka Odegaard and Ben White combining and almost drawing that sort of the the, the, the Spurs defense is so deep that they forget about. The, the guy called Thomas Partey on the edge of the box. And that's a feature of our season, actually. He's just not had the goals to, to go with it. But this shot um, was actually something that he's tried a few times this season, this cutback. Um, yeah. And yeah, it, it does. It, I'll just play it through. It does feature in my in my top three. Just what a finish. Yeah. No one else trying that. Lovely camera angle, that one there as well above. But um, and, and a great victory. And what, what I would say about this victory is that I think... Games of the season. I don't know about your sort of games of the season, but I was going to put this in my top three. But I thought, well, beating Spurs at home is something we've done on a Do few occasions. Year. I remember. Do um, every year, mate. Do yeah. Year. So I mean, lovely moment for Jacker there in a North London derby in his last season. But it was a day where we we sort of dominated, and they had and they had ten men, didn't they, for the last half an hour as well. So it was it was a great victory. We always want to beat 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 our rivals, but. Um, yeah, just narrowly missed out. Great day, but narrowly missed the ne- out. The next league game is my third choice. It's third place for me. So, oh, you've you've ranked them. Maybe I need to rank them while we're while we're talking. So, I think that the next one, which is now, I mean, what an electric start! The, the oh, yeah, Martinelli first minute against Liverpool. Yeah. Um, I, I can't remember our record against Liverpool, but put it this way, it's been awful. Yeah, I think, got, been... I think we got one home win. Again, in during the COVID year with no stadium, but apart from that, we'd not beaten him in years, six, seven years. Um, phenomenal game. 
it was a topsy-turvy first half where we actually go in leading probably didn't really deserve to be leading actually mm. because it, I'm not saying we deserve to be behind because we started really well but then Liverpool grew into the game for the rest of the half so the first 15 minutes I think we were well on top again you're talking about that those electric starts that we have another electric start for that first 10-15 minutes but then then Liverpool really grew into the game yeah great great time to score just on half time yeah and we got that bit of a breakaway um Martin Lee squaring it and then sort of Saka sliding it in at the back post. Going in 2-1 up, didn't really deserve to. But we came out in the second half and I know they drew level. But we bossed in the second half. We played really well, really well. The and then that, the guy that um, equalised? He needs to retire that bloke, doesn't he? Yeah, well, I'm glad he's gone now. He always just got yeah. us for Mino. Um, and then, yeah, Saka scoring the penalty late on. Again, it's funny, isn't it? Like, I'll, I'll defend Saka to the end because like people talking about not scoring big moments, but getting a win against Liverpool in a penalty. And I know it's not in the run into the season, but it's still getting it done when you need to. Um, but yeah, bit, big game. And I think just because of our history and record against Liverpool, for yeah. me, it makes the top three, but it's probably only third. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think it would be third or second for me. Um, I guess earlier on in the season, it doesn't doesn't necessarily add the weight that the other games do. But I think beating the team that we beat, it's a hard one, really, because we have really struggled with them home and away, haven't we, for, for so long. Um, and that, that commentary of that sacker penalty is in our intro, isn't it, Tom? It is indeed. Should, should, should we do our games then? Should we do our top games? Yeah, I guess. As soon as we started. Yeah, I think that would be my top three. And then I would go for the North London derby away from home where we dominated Spurs for probably about 65 minutes or so and then decided to just sit back really and they had some chances but an an unbelievable first half I remember I remember our our group chat was just kicking off really in that first half an hour because it was just the football was out of this world and um, it, it was probably the highest level. I think it was probably the highest level we played at the, the, the season was the first half at Spurs. We were supreme, um, literally supreme. Um, we've seen the party goal against Forest, which I think very was almost better than his Spurs one. Yeah, but, very uh, similar goal, wasn't it? I said earlier, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, it was supreme that game. And again, a place that we, you know, Arsenal and Man United and Arsenal and Spurs, the last eight, nine years, if you look at the records, obviously there are anomalies, there's results which go the other way, etc. But very often we've traded wins, i.e. we've won at home against United and Spurs, but then we've got beat away. And that's been the case in a good 60, 70, 80% of the last six, seven years. If you look at the records, um, I won't remember every single individual fixture, but it's true if you look at them. And obviously we did lose again at Old Trafford this year, but we went to Spurs and we just we just absolutely smashed them, smashed them to pieces. Um, we played so well, and I know they weren't in a great spot, and they didn't end, end up having a fantastic campaign all in, finishing eighth. But we were so good, and I think for me, I don't know, there were lots of moments through the season where I thought we could win the league, maybe we could do it. But that was certainly one of the moments where I thought we're the real deal. Like whether we win it or not, we're we're good enough to win it. That's one of the games where I realised we are good enough to win this league title. Now whether we go and do it, we obviously didn't, and we, and it was still unknown at the time. But in terms of level. We were good enough. Yeah, we we had we had uh, a few performances over the season, didn't we? Where they were sort of um, they were moments where the belief just added that extra five ten percent each time, and thought, you know what, this is actually this is not like I said earlier, this is not a mirage, this is not a fake, 
And, and I think the Liverpool game was one of those because it was an obstacle we had to overcome. Yeah. But you're right. I think I think the Spurs game and then obviously some other games later, I think going to Chelsea and completely dominating that football match and winning 1-0 was another one really at the Very time. Impressive game. You know, Chelsea go on to have a dreadful season, but that was that was that was November time, I think. So uh, we we um that, that Spurs game, I remember the Partey volley that crashed the that crashed the bar. And it's a bit pathetic. That would have been a goal of the season. Yeah, yeah, sensational. Yeah, and and there were there were moments in that first half where I was I was getting a little bit emotional. To be honest, I I, I didn't yeah, really. In terms I, of level, I couldn't believe what I was watching. Um, we waited so long for this, and to see a team that was just so in sync and so perfect, really for for that first half, was just um, was frightening. And 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 I guess um, the other one that's probably in yours, which is the United game. Yeah, that 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 for me is number one because it kind of, yeah, it it, it kind of had the the big game feel of the Liverpool Spurs wins because obviously it was a big game. It's Man United at home, um, but also uh, it, it had the drama of something which will maybe figure in one of our other rundowns, i.e., moment or goal of the season of like a Bournemouth comeback because it had the last minute winner. So it had it had you know we we, we it kind of had everything because it had the big game against a huge rival. Um, but equally, it had the last-minute winner of Nketiah. Um, we, we came from behind, obviously, as well. Rashford. Rash- also, this was when um, Rashford and Man United were absolutely flying. Um, you know, you know, you, you, it was just early, early mid, mid-Jan, something like that. Back from the World Cup, Rashford's flying. Saka's flying as well. Um, and you come into this game, it's just, it feels like a big game. It was a big game. Um Great goal from Rashford. Eddie and Ketia, defence is in trouble, getting the equaliser. And then an unbelievable hit from Saka, probably his best goal he scored for Arsenal, um, to, to to go up in that game, pinch back. And then the Nketiah, and then the drama of the VAR drama as well, because obviously the 91st minute, and it's checked, checked, checked for offside, but it's given and and there you go. Um, yeah, so for me, that was that's number one. Yeah, sh- shades, of, shades of David Platt in 1998. Um, yeah, I remember Sheringham scoring a couple of goals in that game. I think um, it reminded me a little bit of that—the toss and turn of the game, sort of pendulum swinging. Um, and you're right, the Saka Rashford kind of showdown it felt, didn't it, at the time? Um, yeah, yeah, it really did with the, the well, celebrations as well. That, yeah, yeah. You know, while we're on that game, I think the Saka goal in that game, the, the to make it to make it two one, would be up there in my best goals. Um, the hit, yeah, I think you would. It's phenomenal. Um, and, and and probably the best strike of Saka's career, to, I, I would say, to this point. Um, yeah, I think all, all things considered, opponent, distance, it's a very clean shot. It's one of those ones that when when they don't go top bins, people go, nah, but it's a phenomenally clean strike, you know, from a long way out. Mm. Um, it's a great goal. We're about to see it come, come through. The yeah, and, and, I, and I think a goal that, for all of Saka's excellence and brilliant graph that he puts out there on the wing and his hold-up play is fantastic and the way he moves past players. There's almost like a, a simplicity to the way he moves, Saka, and how he deals with the ball, moves past people. And a, a little akin to sort of someone like a Messi, really. You know where at times they don't, don't really know what exactly they're doing that's unbelievably special, yeah. um, but it's the simplicity of it. And, and I think that United goal that he scores, it's it's an absolute explosion that I don't think we've seen from Saka yet in a, in a, in a, in a goal. Yeah, very rarely. And and you see he's taken much many more shots this year, which is good to see. But you're right, that aggression um 
you know, that aggressiveness that just hit it from distance. We've we've not seen it, and uh, yeah, it's probably it's, it's definitely. I've not done a top three goals actually, um, but it would definitely make my top three goals. It wouldn't make number one, but it would it definitely make my top three. I think it's a fantastic strike. It really. Yeah, is. I mean, De Gea is De Gea is not a bad shot stopper either. Um, no, no, exactly. I mean, he's good at saying, and he's good at shot stopping, but he's nowhere near that. And and, and we're watching this back now, and I, that that I don't know what it was like in the stadium at the time, but watching it on TV, it was just agonising waiting for that VAR. This was the first, you know, you already said the word, but sort of religious out of body experience of the season for me. The Old Trafford, the Man, sorry, not Old Trafford, the Man United win again. That was another moment where I felt, look, we can go, and, we can go and win the league here. I just felt it. We'd just gone to Spurs and played them off the park. Then we could, the very next game is Man United at home and we play them in a different style. You know, it's much more an end-to-end tussle, but we still get the better of them. And I think I think we're going to win the league. The only problem is in the next game, we go to Everton and lose, um, which is kind of, you know, story of the season. But yeah, phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, there was the, uh, the, 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 when the camera goes to Zinchenko, when that VAR decision gets... Gets the goal gets okayed and Zinchenko's just like yeah, and, yeah. And it's literally yeah. last kick of the game and it's just like you say out of body experience which we are fortunate to really have another out of the body experience later on in the season but um, yeah I mean you say there's, there's, there's after that game disappointment of the Everton defeat um, which was probably the first time of the season where it really didn't look like us on that pitch yeah no it felt it felt yeah, I mean, that, what, what I would say is Everton did a job on us that day. They played very well. They 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 came and they did exactly what their game plan was. But we never really got going. Um, we never really sort of turned up in that game, um, which was disappointing. Like, you know, there was other drop points like Southampton away where we were fantastic for mm. half an hour mm. and then just kind of stopped playing. Mm. Obviously, the, you know, we'll have to touch on it as well. The, the you know the collapses towards the end of the season from winning positions like i.e. West Ham, same thing. We were flying and then collapsed. Whereas Everton, we just kind of never got going. And I don't think that I don't know. I'm not even sure if there was another game this season. Maybe Brian, Brian at home right at the end. But I don't think there's any other game where we just didn't have a period or didn't get going at all. Mm. Um, you know, City away maybe, but that's a different kettle of fish. I think yeah. the Brian at home and um, you know and and Everton away are probably the two where I feel like we just didn't didn't turn up. Yeah, and 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 I guess we, I mean, we find ourselves at the moment staring at the Saka penalty against City at the Emirates, which he obviously that he puts away. Um, but we we go on to lose that game three one after a quite an encouraging first half. Not 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 a completely dominant first half, but an encouraging one for sure. We City should have come... been up at first half. We should yeah. have been up. Like Eddie and Ketty misses an unbelievable chance with a header that's incredibly similar to his Man United goal so you know ball squared from the left I think it might be Jacko again or Jacko both times but and it's just sort of a jumping header but it's right in the middle of the goal he should score basically um, and then obviously we gift them a goal with a Tommy Asu Howler you know and you know that's it's still a fantastic finish by Kevin De Bruyne by the way but we gift them a goal. We could have easily been one or two nil up going into that half. Not because, like you said, we blew them away, but we were the better team. And if we just hadn't made that big error and scored a giveaway chance, it's two nil at half time. And who knows? The the game and the season, the title race might be very different if that happened. But... Yeah, and Pep sets his team up very, very differently for that fixture. Um, the second half, just incredibly efficient. Long, almost, almost long ball at times. Percentage football up to Harland, and they do a job on us. And they're clinical at the at that end of the pitch. And that was probably the first time where we felt like, okay, like we we're giving this a go. But 
there's there's um there's a gap, isn't there, still to kind of close? There, there was, but Even what's we really <laughs> frustrating is that the, this game was postponed, wasn't it? I think it was. Mm. And Both when we played this night, we, we, we were missing some of our best players to this night. You know, we had no Ben White, we had no Thomas Partey, we had no Gabriel Jesus. Now, that's three of your starting 11. Um, and I just feel like if they've been playing at home at this point in the season... Who knows? Who knows? Because I think by the end of the year we're we're missing players again. We're missing Sleeper, etc. But it's it's you know they're 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 far far better than us at that point. Whereas this game was a very tight game, whereby had we had all of our fit eleven, who knows? It's a great finish by the way. This we've seen this Saka Aston Villa finish, like that's a lot more difficult than he makes it look. Yeah, there's just that's one of one one of his goals of the of the season where you think. Like that's actually there's, he's been working on that technique, isn't he? I mean, this game, this game, I, I, I think I'm making a joke of it, but let's pause it here because um, I was saying it on every pod that we were doing, and after three or four weeks of it, really, that if we if we were to go on and win this thing, we have to go back and look at that Martinez own goal because it it just felt at the time like names on it type of stuff, didn't it? Yeah, and it, you know. In hindsight, maybe we shouldn't have had that many moments for that. If you're going to go and win the league, it shouldn't be that difficult. But we had the game against Man United. Then we had this game against Aston Villa. And then obviously we have the game against Bournemouth. And it's like, it, it does start to feel like, well, name on the trophy. We, we, this is ridiculous. Like we're we're winning from miracle positions. And um, Aston Villa was certainly one of them. You know, coming from behind, I think twice we're behind the game. Um, we're behind twice in the game. Um, and then we score twice in the last in, in injury time essentially including obviously a fantastic shot from Jorginho which hits the underside of the bar and ricochets in and it's just yeah it did feel it felt very important as well after the Man City loss because this was the very next game I mean obviously we did go on and collapse anyway but it felt like it does feel like the collapse could have come a lot earlier if we had dropped points at this game yeah and uh, like we felt really down after that Emirates defeat against City but three or four days later we're we're, we're winning in the last seconds of the game at Villa under Emery, who were on the rise and City go and draw at Forest where they absolutely, I don't know how they don't win that game 7-0. Yeah. Um, and then, and that weekend it felt like actually, and then we, we, then we get ourselves out of a bit of a rut, don't we, Tom, in terms of, we, we go know, on a great run. We, we go on we, a bit we, of a run. We, we go, go on a great run. run. I think our, our best run of the season, actually. We, I think we win, what is it, seven on the bounce? Mm. The really unfortunate thing is, I think City then go and win like 11 or not bounce or whatever they did to go and, and go and get it done, obviously. But yeah, wins away to Villa, home, away to Leicester, home to Everton, home to Bournemouth, which we'll talk about in a minute, away to Fulham, home to Palace, home to Leeds, you know, all in a row before we go to Anfield. Um and so, yeah, so f- fantastic run. And yeah, and I think probably my game of the season, your game of the season, but my goal of the season and moment of the season all in one in that Bournemouth game. Yeah, I was going to say that like moments of the season, which we were sort of going to be doing our top three awards for, I think I think the Jorginho, I think the Jorginho goal at Villa would be in my top three. And I think it would be the Eddie goal in the last second against United. Yeah. And then, yeah, we're we're on the Bournemouth game now, which which I guess covers our um, our best moment of the season, which we can go into a bit of detail about because it's it's just um, it, it is it is a once in a lifetime moment for me, and and this this is ridiculous because this is in March at home to Bournemouth. Um, yeah, but it, it, I tell what, you what, it was it was because we, it we was got ourselves in an absolute mess, didn't we? 
got ourselves in an absolute hole, two nil down, 20 minutes left. Um, in a game which, frankly, we all considered we should win three, four, five nil, as we did on the pod pre- the previous day. You know, we said we would probably go and smash them. We get ourselves in an unbelievable hole, and then we climb out of the hole. And actually, we've got about 15 minutes left when we equalise, 15, 18 minutes, something like that. And then we, it just doesn't come, and we're knocking on the door, we're knocking on the door, we're knocking on the door. And then not only do we get the winner, not only is it in the 97th minute, but it's from a player in Reese Nelson who's been a bit part at best, really. You'd call Reese Nelson in his Arsenal career, obviously, loans off nine, coming back home and not really settling. All ricochets down off the corner. And it's also just an unbelievable hit. It's a fantastic goal on the half volley, left foot, top bins in the 97th minute. And then you talk about name on the trophy. I think I wasn't the only one around the stadium. I was very emotional afterwards, half tears, half happy, half delirious. Like, I, I think at this point, everyone believed not only could we, but we, we are going to go and win the league here. This is unbelievable because not because we're better than City or so much better, but just surely with all these moments, they have to mean something. It has to be, it has to be worthwhile. This, this is name on the trophy stuff. Um, a very special moment, which encapsulated for me what the season was all about. And, and, and I think the, the, the outpouring on Twitter for that goal was just out. It was just absolutely insane, wasn't it? It was just, I couldn't stop watching it. I couldn't stop watching it. Um, there, and, was a, there was a thread of about 12 different angles of the same goal, mm, which I just mm, favoured all of them and retweeted mm, all of them. It was just yeah, it was yeah. incredible. Couldn't get enough of it. Could not get enough of it. And the, the, scene, the scenes as the ball hits the net, obviously you've got Odegaard who took the corner who's just kind of like on his knees. You've got Gabriel who just collapses on the cent- on the on the penalty spot. Saliba doing his kind of very Saliba-y childish run that he does into the crowd at times, um, which I really which you, which I really like and hope to continue see um to can you see him for years to come, Saliba. So hope you're listening. Um and and yeah, like you're right to point out, I think the element of a player who is incredibly on the fringes for all of his for all of his Arsenal career really. To, to pull that out of the bag, it kind of makes it even more spiritual than a, a Saka or a Martin. Yeah, yeah, completely, completely. It's not written. These is, this is everyone playing their part. You know, I think even ESR set up the first goal, Nelson scoring the last minute winner. It felt like things were coming together and, it, you know, it, you know, probably just two months too early because, yeah, there, there's so many crowd views of this goal, which are just electric. While, while we're on the while we're on this goal, actually, Tom, like we we mentioned the word emotion earlier, and Gary Neville um, made a made an observation a few weeks ago, didn't he? That he felt there was too much emotion as part of the Arsenal sort of title race and the season, really, and that the moments at Villa, the moments against Bournemouth, the Eddie goal in the last minute, that the, the emotion was almost too much. He felt that that was one of the reasons why he felt that we would fall away because that's not normal and you have to be cold and you have to be ice cool under pressure where, where do you sit with that because there's a part of me that agrees and I think part part of part of that's right but I also think how are you not going to react in that way yeah, if you score goals I, I, in such a manner I think it's bollocks in truth um it would be my general summarization I get it you know to say bollocks is probably too too much of dismissive but there's, a, I'm sure in any 
championship winning team, you could go through and find two or three very late winners where the players go mental and they and they and they're celebrating wildly. Now I get it, and maybe maybe the fervor around it was a bit too much from fans, and maybe the you know maybe the over the top celebrations beyond the game. But in the moment when the goal comes goes in, I mean there's the, I know there's reports of Zinchenko staying for hours afterwards with the fans outside the stadium stuff like that that kind of stuff. Yeah, you know that that's probably goes too far. But actually, like on the pitch when the goal goes in, don't be stupid. Like it's just celebrating football goal, it's celebrating a phenomenal winner. Um, what I do think, though, again, it comes back to for me is squad depth and squad rotation. Is that you're putting the same set of 11, 12, 13 players through the emotional ringer as well every single week, and that's what may take its toll. Is less the fact that we're celebrating the goals wildly, and more the fact that these players are going up and down on a roller coaster where. It much gets to the end of the year and they're just emotionally, mentally and physically spent. Whereas, you know, if you talk to a, a Phil Foden or a Jack Grealish or a Riyad Mahrez, they're actually probably just worried about playing the next game and just sort of keeping competitive and staying in, you know, hopefully getting selection. You know, they're not, their hunger is to, is to play the games and hopefully get minutes versus being on this emotional roller coaster where the guaranteed starts, but it's just who knows what's going to happen. So I still think it will fundamentally falls back to the strain that we're putting on a too smaller group of individuals. Mm. Um, and does that manifest itself in goal celebrations and then struggling to get up? Yeah, possibly. But I, 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 I think his comments would have more credence and more weight if we struggled after one of those celebrations to get going in the next game or that kind of thing. But that was never really the case. Like all these last-minute winners, I think we followed them up with good performances in the next game. Do you mean like after after the Aston Villa win, we went on a six-game tear, seven-game seven winning streak. Same with the Bournemouth because that's mid-streak. Do you mm. know what I mean? So I don't really, I don't really see the only one potentially is after Old Trafford. Obviously, we go to Everton, we lose, and we had a very flat performance. So maybe there. Yeah, but uh, uh, hindsight's a wonderful thing, isn't it? I think I, I I remember at the time comparing this goal to Makeda against Aston Villa. Um, for United and they go on and win that league that season I think so at the time that <laughs> that isn't too much emotion in inverted commas you know so yeah, exactly. it's, it's, it's interesting what I would say is I think as a fan base that maybe next year we will be a little bit more a little bit more calm I guess throughout because this is why this season is so special for me because we did get carried away and that, and actually, that, that's maybe the beauty of it, you know, that we we didn't we did lose our heads a little bit, and we were looking at the title race in November. You know, and that's because next year, unfortunately, we will have higher expectations. Yeah. Like, so the reality is, like, you know, we'll play Bournemouth at home, and I'll just expect to beat them, you know, comfortably. Mm. I wouldn't expect to these these tussles. So, um, we're just so yeah. we're, we're just looking at the sporting game, which obviously which went down. Um, which went down heavily in our group chat, didn't it, Tom? Obviously, the 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 exit of that competition it divided the fan base, didn't it? It did, yeah. And again, that squad debt thing. I personally, you know, and look, you, we've not gone on and won the league now. Some mm. says, "Well, we should have tried to win the Europa Cup, so at least we'd have won a trophy." But it obviously costs us the second leg against Sporting uh, William Saliba, who you could argue was one of the reasons we don't go on and win the title by his absence. Mm, just, just, just a little. Um, what's the word? What's the phrase when someone doesn't get in the top three? They just miss out. What, what would you call that? 
oh, you know, like mm. no notable absentees. Yeah, no, yeah, something yeah. Like that. Yeah, um, something like that. yeah, something like that. We'll go with that. This is actually just honorable mention. Honorable, honorable mention. That's the one. There you go. Honorable mention to Martinelli's goal at Fulham. An absolute stunning Fantastic goal. Fantastic team goal. Stunning Fantastic goal. Fantastic stunning goal. Everyone team. takes a touch. That Saliba pass with his left foot out of the box. Um, just, just I thought I wanted to just give a nod to that goal. Um, yeah. And yeah, and a little bit like the Brentford game, just complete, utter dominance, almost like cold dominance, you know? And the most muted celebration as well from there. Yeah. From Martinelli. Um, look, we're seeing a goal go in there from one person we've not spoken about yet on the pod. Mm, mm. Um, who, who needs speaking about? Because for me, he's our player of the season. Um, and that's our captain, you know, Martin Odegaard. Uh, 15 league goals, uh, very many assists. What, what's the tally for the season? I think Saka was 25 league goals and assists. Um, it's I think Erdogan's 22 or 20, I think 22 goals and assists, and Martinelli 20. Phenomenal returns from all three of them. And Martin Erdogan is a very special footballer. Like, I know there's some stuff about does he do it in the big games and stuff like that, but for me, phenomenal season from him, scoring some big goals and just generally fantastic player. Yeah, I think. There's a there's a similarity between Odegaard and Saka, I think, in terms of with the, the the fan base, but also me at times, where we're putting so much expectation and weight on their shoulders that we forget how old they are for a start and that they're playing every single game, you know, and, and, and how good they are because we're so reliant on them yeah. that we expect levels that are are unfair now. I'm what I looked up before this 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 call, and and I think it's an unfair comparison to to both Saka and to the person I'm about to say. But Saka's goal and assist tally this year in the league it, it is higher than any season Robert Pierre has ever had at Arsenal. Yeah, and I'm not comparing the two. One's a World Cup winner and an invincible. Yeah, he's a better player and he's a legend of Arsenal. But what I'm saying is, we never looked at the other years he had and said, "Oh, why is he not doing more?" You know, he was because he was part of a team that was so good that mm-hmm. you never, you know, you know. If I'm sure there were lots of games where Robert Pierce didn't turn up, it didn't matter because Henri or Bergkamp did, or Lundberg did, or Vieira did, and same vice versa. By the way, it's not a Robert Pierce dig. I'm sure there are loads of games that Bergkamp didn't turn up, or or, or Lundberg or Vieira, but it just didn't matter because well, the level trophies. of the yeah. team, winning trophies, yeah, winning trophies, and someone else on that pitch would bail you out and have a have a blinder. Now, unfortunately, we have. And for the first time this year, all three of them have stepped up. So at least we've had three. But what we have is we have a reliance on two or three individuals who are both very young in Martinelli and Saka from a goal outlet perspective. Um, although, like I said, Erdegaard's joined them this year, who are both very young, but also, um, you know, like you said, incredibly lied and put upon. And it's completely unfair because actually their level of consistency for their age, for any age, is phenomenal. Um, and 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 I think Odegaard's been part of that this year, and he's stepped up. Um, but yeah, I, I I just think we I can't look at any of those three in terms of Saka, Martinelli, and Odegaard, and think anything other than just phenomenal seasons from all three of them. Mm, no, yeah, definitely. I, I think when we're talking about player of the season, I agree. I, I agree. I, I I think there's so many players that we could mention that I think deserve a mention. Um, I think it's a toss-up between Odegaard and Saka. However, I mean, if we were doing a pre-World Cup player of the season, it would have to have been Jesus for me. 
I mean, he was frightening before that World Cup and was, was absolutely transformational to the way we were playing. He was electric. And I think that injury really affected how he played because he was so physical in that first half of the season. The, amount of the jewels he was winning up against six foot four centre-backs, he was throwing himself everywhere and the zip that he had in his movement. And that really, um, obviously, naturally, it would impact him. And when he came back, obviously, interestingly, his goals record was improved on but there was something not quite right. Um, yeah. And I think we haven't talked about that this evening. And I think that injury to our arguably our best player for three months, we did so well to manage that. And and um, if only he was fit for the whole season, but we were in a great position when he came back. So Yeah, the irony is that the position he, he came back in was yeah. exactly the same, if, yeah. maybe, if maybe even like one point better, but certainly exactly the same as he left in terms of performance. But what you don't know is what that's taken out of the team, the intangibles in terms of him not being there. You don't know if the lead would have been even greater if he'd been there when, you know, so... Martinelli is a different player with Jesus, isn't he? Yeah, Martinelli's a far different player, a different beast. Martinelli was fantastic pre-World Cup. Frankly, went missing for January, February, um, March. But then Jesus comes back and then Martinelli suddenly looks like a huge goal for it again. Um, you know, he doesn't get the help on the left side that Saka gets from a Mar- Erdegaard and Ben White. Um, you know, and, and again, I think, look, that's why they're looking to to improve and move on Jacker and get a get a better left eight in that position as well, who can sort of technically link play better. We obviously had the arrival of Trossard in January as well, which I won't say limited Martinelli's time because I don't think he did. Martinelli always basically still started, as we know, with too much reliance on the first 11 in terms of starting, but shared minutes and obviously had a great impact. Trossard, I think he got something like seven, eight, nine assists for us from January, which is phenomenal to get like nine assists in just half the season. Um, It's really frightening. Um, Great impact. Uh, so yeah, like I said, I, I, I'd struggle to put a player this season, but I am going Martin Odegaard just because of, I think when he's playing well, he's the best footballer at the club. Like he's, he's a joy to watch him. Um, he's probably, he's my favorite footballer to watch, mm. you know, when I go there and I watch and I sit there and I watch him operate and I see, you know, he throws the little, you know, the little dummies, the little feints, you know, step overs, the intricate play. It's a delight. It's a delight. Yeah, I think I think there's two players that that had serious injuries this season in Jesus and Saliba that would definitely have been in this discussion if they weren't if they if, if they were fit for the whole campaign. We would definitely be talking about them now as arguably the winner of this award. Um, unfortunately, you know, to uh, Jesus in the middle of the season, which is hard to kind of when you lose that momentum to kind of give a player an award in that way. And Saliba obviously misses a crucial part of the season. My 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 third my third bronze my bronze award for this would be Gabriel, who yeah. um for me has been just an absolute well not for me, but I think for most Arsenal fans, an absolute monster this season, an absolute rock, um ever present. A colossus, a colossus. Yeah. And do you know what? We've had enough good players. We've had enough players play well enough to go and win the league title what we didn't have enough of was small runs of four or five game bursts because the end am i expecting saka martinelli odegaard to be better this year than next year i i hope they are but i'm not expecting it because they were fantastic this year what we need is the depth whereby we have genuine options to come on and have a three or four game run where they're at it and it'll buy us and it'll win us games you know the, the starting 11 i think to a man this year were brilliant. I couldn't look at anyone from Ramsdale all the way through to Jesus at the top, the pitch, 
and not give them basically 10 out of 10. So then obviously that would be perfect. And people would be like, well, why aren't you on the league then if they've all done 10 out of 10s? It's because they don't have the help and support, you know, mm. uh, and potentially because Arteta's not trusting the squad as well. Um, but I, I can't look at any of them think other than great campaign. Yeah, that would be that, that would be my three to, that I would defend. The other, the only one that someone could maybe convince me to get in there would be Ben White um, for me. But we paused it at the, the Anfield game, Tom. Um, one of the most emotional games I think we've had um, this season. Um, I say that because I didn't really know how to react to it. Um, the first, I went, the first I, half an hour was reminiscent of Spurs away. We were brilliant. Yeah, I, I went through post-Anfield. I just went through all sorts of different emotions by the hour, not even by the day, to be honest. And and it took me a few days to recover from it. And I, and I think there was a bit of a hangover, obviously, at West Ham, where we thought it was the West Ham game. where we And, and result-wise, I guess it was, but you can't help but look back at that Liverpool game and think you're 2-0 up against a team that are there for the taking, really. Um, and they obviously get a late equaliser with Firmino, who's who's luck fortunately departing, but um, just just a real weird game of football where we looked phenomenal, like you say, but um, in the second half struggled to deal with the momentum that Liverpool had created. And we in that game grateful for a point, but then I go through this weird spell of thinking, actually it's two points dropped. Then actually it's Anfield, but I'm not sure if that is actually enough of a reason. <laughs> it's a weird one. Yeah. I think I was probably at the time more philosophical about Liverpool. Like I, I, I was comfortable with a point there. Now it doesn't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. We were two 0 up and we were playing really well, um, and it was a shame not to hang on. I think the problem lies in the fact that does that affect us going into the West Ham game? I don't know because we played so well at West Ham as well for thirty minutes. We had oh, literally. No. I don't think it did at all. No. No, we had the home crowd booing their own players. That's how well we were playing at West Ham. And then we literally go to pot. And Liverpool. Yeah, and Liverpool. And, and now, booing. My, my, my feeling about Liverpool is we needed to get to half-time to lot, and we didn't, you know. Once they scored one, it's a horrible place. It's Anfield. They're still... I think, did they finish second in the, in the home table or was that Man United in the end? They finished top three... Liverpool finished top three or four for their home um, results of the season, certainly. I'm going to I'm going to pull that table up now as we speak. I think they finished third, didn't they? Because they obviously drew against Villa and then United won on the last day against Fulham and Chelsea. Okay, so yeah, that's finished fourth just behind us. But they, 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 their home form was very good. They obviously had some really good results. Smash Man United there. Beat, beat City there, didn't they? You know, um, did they beat City? Yeah, they did. Yeah, well, um, yeah. You know, so look, it's it's a horrible place to go. It's still an incredibly tough fixture. Mm. I, I kind of feel like if I'm sitting here thinking, oh, if we'd won that game, maybe we'd won the league. But then I think you could do that for a few games this year. You know, like we said before mm. the school, any of the games against City, if we beat them once, we'd probably win the league. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember, I remember saying at the time that I, I just felt that if we go and win at Anfield, the league's ours. And, you know, we might have gone on and lost it or won it or whatever. But it just felt like if we could go to Anfield where, as Gary Neville would say, if you win at Anfield, you win the league, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and and it, it did it did feel like that sort of game. And we didn't get over the line. But obviously, yeah, I mean, what 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 happens after it is 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 um, we're not going to use the B word tonight, but it was a it was a bit of a collapse um, it, it, in terms of form. It was, you know, you look at those last six, seven results. 
and it was it was pretty painful because what you know I, I had a mantra which I kept on saying to you when it got to like February March I just kept on feeling that we have to finish the season well and I, look if we if that if that we have to make City win 14 in a row wherever it's going to be and the really sad thing is we didn't do that now I was very comfortable and I genuinely mean it I was very comfortable finishing second I was okay finishing second if we had finished the season like that because we'd have no regrets you know, but the problem is, you now look at Man City win the league on 89 points. Now, do they get results against Brighton and Brentford if they need to? Quite possibly. But the painful regret thing is, we'll never know. You know, and the thing is, if we had finished the season well, we'd beaten West Ham, say, beaten Southampton, beaten Nottingham Forest, say those three, maybe Drew with Brighton, something like that. And we'd finished up on 91, 92 points. I don't know if that math works out, but it's about that. But Pitt City were just too good and they'd got 94. I think that's, we'd all just say fair enough. We'd all just say fair enough that you can't you can't legislate against 14 league wins in a row. But because we didn't do that, it does feel like a collapse. And unfortunately, what it means is that if we get to the situation next year when we're in contention again, those scars will be there both as a fan but also as players. And that's the scary thing. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And And, and I think for me, the... The nature of the loss at the Etihad, I think, just clarified things for me. I, I, I think there was the, there was the way we lost that game. I was okay with not winning the league, uh, and and to be honest with you, there's an element of there's an element of it that don't you know if if City were to get a ten point deduction and we would go on and win the league, then great. But there was an element of me after that thinking, well, I want us to win the league, being the best team. I, I want us to win the league by not being smashed you know 4-1 at our most at our rivals where really it was it was a complete mismatch it was so the scary level that night was i didn't think i actually didn't think we were that bad that night i think we 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 were running into a city side that when they play like that like they did against madrid you can't do anything about it the cold reality is we played him three times this year and we lost three times mm. and you can look at collapses at the end of the season and tunnel up at West Ham and you could look at these games and yeah they're all poor results but are you the best team in the country if you play them three times and lose three times I, I, you're not do you know what I mean and there, there is fine margins you could look at the fact that we didn't have our first team out against Man City in in the home game and Saliba was missing when we went there in the second game and Rob Holding as a mayor all of these kind of things but the cold reality is they they beat us three times out of three and if you do that, you you don't deserve to win the league. Yeah, and and in the in the uh, the most recent one, which was obviously a bit of a title decider, like like I say, I think the the nature of it just kind of made it very clear in my head. Because if if we'd have got, I know I know, obviously with hindsight, we can say, oh, we didn't beat City once, so they deserve it. And yeah, I guess so. But if we'd have gone there and it was a barnstorm, we'd lost three two narrowly. Like and we go on, we would still be like, well, we're we're still the best team in the league. Do you know what I mean? We'd still yeah. be saying that, but we it was just we got battered, and and it was just a, it was quite numbing, really. Um, but uh, I guess not much to say for the rest of the season, really. A bit of a weird end to the season because obviously we <laughs> had this high at Newcastle, then real lows at Brighton, not not, not Forest with a, a with a nice a nice game over the weekend against Wolves, so. I remember sitting in the in, in the pub before the before the Brighton game, and obviously City were away at Everton. And I remember saying to a few friends I was with that 
today's the day. Like we're about to watch City play away at Everton. And I kind of, I did feel that if this is the last chance City could drop points and we could still be in with a sniff. And the moment City win that game and quite comfortably at the end of the day, I knew we weren't going to beat Brian that day because I think the players felt that as well. I think the players felt that it was the last chance for City to drop, properly drop points and be in the title race. Now, obviously, they go and drop points against Brighton Brentford, but they would have needed to drop points in one of those games anyway, even if they dropped Everton. So I think once we gassed Everton, sorry, once they beat Everton, we gassed against Brighton and it was done. So, yeah, it was a, it was a strange, um, strange feeling that end of that Brighton game, wasn't it? And I was there for the Southampton game where it felt similar, quite. Um, sort of wake-like, like a funeral wake, really. It was almost the silence that just descended on the Emirates at the end of that Southampton game was quite horrible, actually. Um, and it, it, set, it seemed like that on the TV screens at, at home to Brighton, where it was just this... the it, it had completely gone. Like, against Southampton, it felt like it had, almost, but there was still games left, whereas Brighton was the, the conclusive final blow, wasn't it? Um, yeah, yeah, and we've just seen us scale Everest so many times that season in those great games we spoke about United, Bright, uh, Bournemouth, and those and the Villa and the like. That I think the moment we couldn't scale it anymore, it was just like you know the proverbial letting the air out of a balloon. It just sort of deflates, and you just sort of, you know, I, I said to you a few times and on voice notes on the pod. I hope the season never ends because I just had the most joyous, joyous, joyous time following my team this year. And I did. It was just, it was joyful. However, come to the end of the season, I'm exhausted now. I'm, I'm quite pleased that the season's done. And I'm looking forward to resting, recharging both myself and the team and then going and doing it all again and going for it again and with belief and hope again because it's tiring. And that's probably how the players have felt. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And, and, I, and I think there's been a lot of, reflections of the season being kind of a season of two halves but I I don't think it was I think it was a season of three quarters and a quarter um which uh I guess hurts even more but um like you say we'll be back that's the beauty of football we'll be back again in August um to do it all over again but in the meantime we'll be bringing listeners a few summer pods probably transfer chats scouting little clips and things like that just to to sort of Wax lyrical about new signing Declan Rice. Um, needs to be some big transfer chats, um, yeah. some deep dives on some top top players. And like you said, hopefully Mr. Rice is among those. Mm, mm. It does feel like uh, it's a summer to really make a statement, I guess, isn't it? Because last summer, as we ref- as we mentioned at the beginning of this pod, last summer didn't necessarily feel like that. It felt smart. It smelt. It felt smart business last summer. This feels it needs to be a statement. We we need to we need level up signings, um, particularly in the centre midfield. You know, it, it's not transpired yet, but it looks like for all the money, like um, Granite Jack is obviously moving on, and that's fine. But I felt we needed a centre midfielder anyway. So if he does, you, you're suddenly needing two, and one of those needs to be bona fide, world class, can slip right in. We all, I say we all, I think the vast majority of Arsenal fans hope that's Declan Rice, but whoever it is that comes in we need we need to feel as if that person is levelling up the team. Because I think we as fan base, but also the players want that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's always an exciting period of life. I think, like you said a minute ago, I agree that we do need a break mentally from the football, but I'm definitely not, I definitely want to be, you know, scrolling my Twitter feed daily for transfer updates. I've got the energy for that all day long. Um, but um, 
I just hope it happens. I, I, you know, I hope it happens fast. I, I want us to make a statement early June. That, like, I'd love to be sitting here in two, three weeks wrapping up Declan Rice or wrapping mm. up a big signing because, mm. you know, as much as much as the signings have worked out, we can't deny the fact that in the last three windows, even with Arteta, we, we've not necessarily got our first choices. Like I said, you know, Mudrick getting Trossard. You know, we went for Casado, didn't get him. Yeah. Ended up getting Jorginho last summer. Went for Lissandro Martinez. Didn't get him. Went for um, you know, went for Lahavich the year before. Ended up getting um, uh, Jesus in the summer. So, whoever we go and get, I want them to be the players that Arteta wants. I want us to strike early and and get those players in preseason, loving life at Arsenal Football Club, and loving a title charge in twenty three twenty four. It was it was actually I'm gonna I'm gonna. I'm going to try and articulate this analogy that I had when I was walking back home from town earlier, like um, went in to just grab a coffee. And um, I was thinking, you know what, this, this last two or three years, it kind of reminds, it's, it's sort of a bit like when I moved into my new house. So when you get a new house, anyone that's got a, a new build, obviously it's, you, you watch it being built. And um, I'm so I likened that period of watching it being built sort of from rubble as the kind of the clearing out that Arteta had of the old squad. And, um, and then you start, start, start seeing it come together, like early signs of like, Oh, wait a minute. Like there's, you know, there's some bricks there now. Like there's a door, there's a door. We've got a front door. Um, and then you go through this period where you're waiting to get in and you're waiting to see what's inside. And, and you get the keys to open the door to your new home. And then all of a sudden it's kind of like this, this kind of like new era of freshness and excitement of what's to come. But now we feel like we're at the point of the analogy where it's like right now we need to find the right sofa. You know, yeah. we need to find the right, you know, paint to go on the walls, all this sort of stuff. And it feels it's a little bit like that. Now. It's, it? yeah. now. it's coming together. Right. It feels like it's coming together and it feels like it could be real, but, but equally you know, until until you get it done, it could also be a long way away as well. So, um, you know, we, I, I think there was a lot of Arsenal fans who used to say, oh, we're always two players away. We're two players away. And we've been two players away for 10 years, whatever. I think in reality, we probably, we were more than that. Whereas it does feel very close now that if we level up a couple of positions and, and, and in doing so, create the depth, I think suddenly we'll be... <coughs> will be set for very many years and the exciting thing earlier and I was waxing lyrical about Odegaard, Saka and Martinelli um, but the ages that's 21 each and 23 for Odegaard like there's so much ahead of them and so much so much chance for us to be a real team for the next three four five six years so hopefully that's the case yeah and I, and I think personnel aside I know they are the most important people because they are on the grass doing the thing that we need them to do but I do think what we've got now is we do have like the house has been built to go back to the analogy. We do have a club that is connected. The culture's right. The vision's right. The, the right people are in the building. And I think we didn't have that. And, 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 and you could argue that that is more important than any player on that football pitch, you know? Um, yeah. And it's the, you know, and, and the, the, the... The, the players' attitudes and what they stand for as well, rather than just their talent levels. We've seen very, we've seen a very, we've seen a few, not very many actually. That's not fair. Um, it's not true. 
we've seen some a few really good players at the Emirates in the last ten years. You know, mm. they're obvious names: Sanchez, like you know, Özil, you know, or Bamiyang at his best. He's a great name. But were they the right characters to to connect with the house, with the home, with the fans? Mm. You know, it's another reason I love Erdogan so much and I love Saka because what it's because what they represent. I think I mentioned on a pod earlier in the season. I'm very proud to have Martin Odegaard as the captain mm. of our club because of what he represents and, and, and who he is and how nice a person he is. And I think that is as important as you say, having the right people in the house, and that's from top to bottom, whether that's the mm. director of football to the manager, to the players, to the staff. It's not just their actual technical attributes or abilities, but who they are mm. as individuals. Yeah. Yeah, it's the, to end on the, to wrap this analogy up, it's the this has been the housewarming season, hasn't it? All the fans, have, all the fans have been letting to enjoy, um, and yeah, I, I think it was only right that against Wolves, there was barely any empty seats really because every one of them has deserved it, and obviously Arteta with his coaching staff as well, really that have behind the scenes don't get. Um, I, I, we we joked earlier about um, Carlos Cuesta being the next manager, and but but all these people are incredibly important on a day in day out basis in that football club. You know, they're doing so much hard work that we don't see. Um, yeah. I just wish we had the all or nothing to watch this summer, really. Well, yeah, it would have been a, I don't know, halfway through last season, well, the season just gone. I thought, imagine all the nothing was there this year mm. for the title race. And I'm almost sort of glad it wasn't because it would have mm. been so painful at the end as well. Um, but yeah. we'll go again. How many, 74, 73 days until it starts again. FPL pods, we've got to come, we've got to do one of them as well because uh very pleased with our ORs this year. You know, solid efforts, nothing fantastical, but very solid efforts, more to build on for next year. Um, and we'll keep building here at Always Arsenal, won't we? Yeah, we'll 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 try and fill in the summer, fill in the gaps for, for you guys um listening. And um, but for now, that's been me and Tom um for the season review, and we look forward to next time where we might be doing a little uh scouting pod on Declan Rice but we'll, we'll see um, thanks for listening guys it's always Arsenal Henry will have to do it alone oh! sensational goal from Thierry Henry to secure a sensational result for Arsenal Pires. oh what a shot it's a fabulous goal from Robin Pires. it was in from the moment he hit it Akayo Saka yeah!